I'm Mark Kane with the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI. And this is In AI We Trust. I'm so excited to dive into today's interview with Ashley Casavan, Executive Director at AI Global. I am too. She brings so much that I know our listeners are going to want to hear from her government experience, her work with the private sector, and now leading a nonprofit that is doing such great work in leading on responsible AI. Absolutely. There's a lot to dive into, and um, I know that we're both also working with Ashley uh, and our organizations are, are collaborating with, with her. So I'm excited to hear her take on um, all, of the, all of the opportunities that we're all um, working together towards. Same here. So let's dive in. All right. Today, we are thrilled to have Ashley Casavan with us on In AI We Trust. Throughout her career, Ashley has focused on the intersection of data and technology. She's become a leader in the movement to develop and implement trustworthy and fair artificial intelligence. Ashley serves as the executive director for AI Global, a nonprofit focused on putting research into action by creating tangible and practical tools to help accelerate the design, development, and use of responsible AI, as well as mitigate the harm and unintended consequences of such technology. Ultimately, they will also be creating a certification for responsible AI. Prior to AI Global, Ashley was Director of Data and Digital at the Government of Canada, where she led research and policy development related to data, open source, and AI for the government. Ashley is also a a dear friend of Equal AI and a partner of both of ours through the Global Alliance at the World Economic Forum. And for all of those reasons and many more, Ashley, we're so glad to have you on our show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Let's start with your origin story. How did you first become interested in AI and responsible AI, and particularly as as a public servant? Yeah, thanks. Uh, Really, it was through that, being a public servant, I had been really interested in accountability and transparency and really how to provide better services to uh, to the public, um, in my case, Canadians, and um, asking just a lot of questions about the best ways to go about doing that, um, which really quickly led me to data. And so um, data to create better decisions um, through increased uh, data-driven decision-making, and then also um, data just for purposes of openness and transparency and accountability to the public, so sharing results of Uh, how well we're doing on services or just sharing um, data. So at, uh, I had worked at the municipal level before I joined the government of Canada. I worked for the city of Edmonton and there uh, was, I asked a lot of questions about why things, why programs uh, didn't communicate with one another and uh, why it took a lot of different people to solve problems. And a lot of that led to, oh, well, these people own this database and these other people own this database and those databases don't communicate with one another. And I, I found that as a very new person in this world, very confusing. Um, but ultimately they were the right questions to be asking. And now we have lots of conversations about, um, how 
we should be better leveraging our data in order for that to uh, do things that AI is promising. So as you can imagine, um, after leaving the city of Edmonton, going to the federal government, um, continuing to think through some of those challenges, I quickly was led into policy roles related to um, the government's use of, of enterprise use of data, and then also um, open source tools and technology. So I led the development of open.canada.ca, um, so Canada's open government portal, um, similar to data.gov, and um, became, again, really kind of questioning how is the I how can we meet these better objectives that we have around improved service delivery, in, sorry, improved service delivery and improved access um, for Canadians, just really understanding what their government does and um, recognize that we really needed to have uh, a stronger understanding of how we developed those tools, but then we could only get so far if we didn't have the right policies and strategies in place. Um, so started to work on all of that. And then that quickly led to AI being also part of uh, the work that our team did. And fortunately at the time, we had someone, uh, Michael Carlin, who was asking these types of questions too. And uh, so we started working together on what became the directive on automated decision-making systems. What an incredible background to to bring to your your current work, and uh, I, I'm gonna um, not ask the 500 questions that have come up about all these different experiences that have led you to where you are. Just because um, I think one thing that's so unique about today's interview is that AI Global is so well aligned with the objectives and 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 general direction of travel of, of both Equal AI, which Miriam runs, and the World Economic Forum, where I work. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit more about AI Global. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about its mission and, and your own vision for the future of AI and kind of how it builds on the work that you've done and just walked us through in the government? Yeah, completely. Um, actually, so in when I mentioned the directive on automated decision-making systems, I should have said that that was um, one of the first national government policies to really look at the responsible use of AI systems. Um, so the government's, um, how the government's using AI and then our oversight of that. And uh, this response that we had through this policy um, created a lot of awareness for me about what we should and shouldn't be doing, what we should and shouldn't be thinking about, and uh, really thinking about the notions that we had put in there for the requirements. So things like peer review, um, approval to operate the system, notification are all things that we're thinking about in this context of responsible uh, AI, in addition to bias and fairness and transparency. And uh, in that we, um, or I noticed at the time that uh, we really needed to have more context around this policy development. We really need to understand, okay, well, what do all of those requirements that we're talking about mean in real life to a practitioner? And so for me, that was really important that um, those questions were addressed and standards organizations like IEEE and ISO, ITU, et cetera, are starting to define each of those things. And so um, when we were implementing the directive, many of the, the people in departments were like, okay, well, 
we're happy to do this, but is there a standard that we need to follow? And we were like, well, not quite yet. Um, and what made me uh, realize that there was kind of a need to coordinate all of these various different standards, even when they do exist, um, is exactly that question that that practitioner is asking is, like, how do these operate almost as um, a framework that one needs to follow? And I don't think that you can expect a practitioner that is already a subject matter expert in their own domain and in their own service delivery or line of services um, to actually also understand then now all of these added components that uh, that we're asking about when we're thinking about the, the responsible or ethical use of these systems. And so because of that, um, I really sought an organization um, that was in kind of a neutral space. So neutral being nonprofit, um, and then also uh, that was open to different stakeholders. So that were or able to convene multiple different stakeholders. So um, obviously, Mark, the, the work that the World Economic Forum does is one of the key players uh, globally in doing that. Um, and then work that uh, Miriam, you're doing with Equal AI is also focusing in having some concentrations of bringing industry, academia, and um, civil society together. Um, but what AI Global allowed me to do is because of their focus on, as Miriam mentioned at the beginning, building tangible tools, that idea of um, really trying to make tools that are there for practitioners um, was something that compelled me to, to work with AI Global. And so in doing so, um, we really had a, a bit of a clean slate to be that multi-stakeholder forum that was able to address some of those um, gaps that I saw in trying to implement um, a directive or a policy like the Directive on Automated Decision-Making Systems. I'm really glad you brought us to this point because you've raised so many of the reasons that we love working with you and, and that why AI Global is important. I think all of us share an interest in not talking only at the top level, making sure that when we're talking about responsible AI, we're talking about it in ways that can be acted upon so that an engineer can understand what they're designing, a lawyer can understand what they should be evaluating and looking for liabilities, a CEO can know what they're bringing to market and what questions they need to be asking to know whether their AI system is safe before going to market. And I, I love that you have this toolkit that you have a very practical approach to how to guide companies in this effort. Can you tell us more about the toolkit and, and how you decided what needs to be put in it and, and what we can expect when we make use of it? Thanks. Yeah. And so we have several um, different tools. When I say like tangible tools, I mean, and I should have clarified that before, is um, a series of different real things that one can use there. And so one of them and one of the key ones is the Responsible AI Design Assistant. And that's an online open source assessment anybody can use. And it incorporates all of these components that I've talked about today, but um, that I'm sure for all of the listeners of this podcast are very, very familiar with. Um, and so really we assess against five dimensions. So data quality, robustness, uh, explainability and interpretability, um, bias and fairness, and accountability. And so all of those um, are just our 
ontology, if you will, the, the mapping that we've done of all of the various different principles out there um, and made them into a measurable uh, self-assessment that then any organization can use. And we called it the design assistant because we really wanted people to use it early and often. Um, so when you're thinking about designing these systems, you have a bit of that framework to go through. And um, hopefully not only does that lead to um, addressing things like who should be at the table when making decisions um, about the development, design and development of these systems. Um, so, as AI is a social technology, um, it really requires there to be diverse perspectives and have diverse different expertise available um, to or to come together to have those conversations. Um, but also it uh, allows, it's almost like a framework that um, then allows certain types of trade-off decisions and discussions to be had that when we might all have the best intentions in mind when, when wanting to build something, but they're not necessarily things that we, we think about um, because we're really concerned about getting a product to market or um, we're concerned about one stakeholder versus really thinking about all of the other stakeholders. Um, so that's our key tool, um, and that's really um, based on ongoing input from the community on that and feedback that we get um, has helped us to really shape then the certification mark that we're doing. Um, but a couple of the other ones that I'll just quickly draw attention to are, um, I mentioned earlier on that I was involved in building Canada's open government portal. That concept is uh, very near and dear to my heart. And so uh, we made an equivalent of that. So there's the Responsible AI Community Portal that aggregates um, and provides a way for people to search various different resources, uh, whether it be policy documents or whether it be uh, open data sets um, for the responsible use of AI systems. And um, then also we are working on um, there's a, a map. Um, so the map shows various different use cases of where AI can be both helpful and harmful. And all of this has really just been um, based on the research that we've been using um, to build out our tools. And so we wanted to share and contribute that back to the community. Amazing. And, uh, you know, a, a lot there. And, 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 and what I see when you talk through these different tools is there's a kind of core set of um, you know, research and analysis around the key parameters of ethical AI. So, you know, what you walked us through in terms of the principles. And there's all these different ways in which that can be applied. So it can be through self-assessment, through the design assistant, or uh, it could be perhaps incorporated into an audit by an external third party, which is something that we've heard about a lot from a number of our guests. I'm wondering if you could just situate within all of that the particular role of certification, uh, which I know you're working very hard on, and what you see as being the unique advantages and and and, and opportunities that come with taking a, a certification-oriented approach uh, beyond just self-assessment or uh, an audit by a, a third party. Yeah, I think, and I'm not the first person to say this, but I think self-regulation is having people design their homework and then check their own homework. And I, I don't need to point out why that's problematic. Um, so suffice to say that I find it incredibly important to have a, an audit process, um, that is external to, um, a self 
regulatory uh, or self-assessment. Um, that said, I think that when we're talking about um, regulation of AI systems, it's a lot easier said than done. And so we don't even know really the scope of all AI systems. And, and that's even something that we dealt with in the government context is that there's many that wanted to call it the directive on responsible AI. And we fought so, so hard to make it the directive on automated decision-making systems, which just does not roll off your tongue in the same sort of way. Um, but it's more accurate because then that really allowed us to deal with the scope of what we were trying to provide oversight over. Um, and then recognizing that there really needs to be additional policy work that's done for robotics um, or other types of what one might classify in, um, in the bucket of AI systems. So what we're working on is trying to identify um, how we, what is the scope of what a certification should be. Um, and I should say that this is in partnership with uh, the Global AI Action Alliance through the World Economic Forum, and then also the Schwartz Reisman Institute at the University of Toronto. Um, Jillian Hadfield is my co-chair uh, in this effort. And so just understanding what is the scope of this work um, and then how can that align or really be helpful as it relates to um, any sort of regulation that might um, come out in the future. Um, and so I see that being um, kind of connected to it in a similar way that I was talking about really needing to get into the details of like, what does good look like? What are these implementation guidance? I think a certification can really um, help to function in that way. And we've seen this with other types of certifications and in other industries like forestry, fisheries. Um, so if you go to the supermarket and see the good catch symbol on your, your fish, um, you know that it's gone through some a certain evaluation and that it meets uh, sustainability objectives. Um, and we've been really inspired by LEED um, that many will know from uh, various different buildings that they've seen. So, uh, and we've seen how these private governance um, really help to uh, be be complementary to um, any sort of public objectives that are usually broad in their um, in their approach. So. I think you've given a great uh, argument for why there should be uh, a private system to understand and uh, verify safety uh, in the AI space, given the impact that will come from most AI systems. Um, and given that we've done this in every other context where there's a safety element, whether it be car, uh, green standard, et cetera. But given your deep experience with government, I'm curious what your recommendations would be to uh, a legislature or an administration as to what policies they should have in place, what legislation you think would be really impactful. And given your experience working with so many different governments, including Canada, but certainly not limited, I wonder which government body you would direct to this recommendation to. Uh, that's such a hard question. Um, because once you start getting into scratching the surface on this, you realize that that problem is, is so multifaceted and it touches all different types of, um, regulatory bodies, uh, and, and different lawmakers. Um, so I have 
whining in particular. Um, but before I get into that, what I would say is I there's been lots of discussions around setting up uh, a separate body for the regulation of AI. And I know this is not exactly your question, but I want to say like what I wouldn't do also. And um, for me, I think that the more and more that I think about this, and I've actually asked myself this question very recently, many times, which is just like, if I could write a bill tomorrow, what would that be? And there's, there's probably 50 of them. So to, um, so really that's to say though, that this idea of setting up as just a separate regulatory body for AI, I don't even know how that would work because it, how, and how would that, um, or AI is everything and it's everywhere. So how would that work with, um, the traffic safety board or the health authorities? Um, so I really think that this idea of AI governance needs to be embedded into all of our existing infrastructure. And if there's a need to have, um, I would say, a data council for um, thinking about oversight of a data trust, um, that's probably something that's needed. But just generally an AI regulatory space um, is something that I, I don't see being possible. Um, maybe I sound to be corrected, but I just... I think that that's an important distinction to me. Um, so, if, but if I had one um, at the top of my list, the thing that concerns me the most about AI systems, um, obviously in addition to all of the bias that these systems are just perpetuating, it's our existing biases that um, are being codified and therefore uh, expedited. Um, but it's the behavioral nudging that, and like the lack of autonomous, individual decision-making that concerns me the most. So I'm really, really interested um, to know what the FTC is going to do about all of this. Um, I know that they started looking at it um, with the Robin Hood case and I, the Robin Hood case of, um, for those of you that don't know, uh, very, very briefly, just um, with trying to democratize trading, um, which I think is a very noble and good objective. Um, the idea of uh, gamifying it uh, wasn't talked about as much of as some of the other concerns that people had around the Robinhood app. And so gamifying um, finances for people that don't really have the, the adequate knowledge that they need, I think is incredibly concerning. Um, Recently, I uh, sold the house, so I had to invest for the very first time, and I really needed to go through with my financial advisor a checklist of things, and he made me sign off on like what my level of knowledge was before he could give me particular amounts of advice, and these are the types of checks and balances that we have in place, and so when those are taken away, and then therefore, um, additionally, there's like confetti that is um, put on top of something like a trade, um, I find that that extent of behavioral nudging to be um, incredibly problematic. And I I don't know how regulators are going to deal with that. Um, and But addressing it through, through fines, I'd, I'd like to see more... Um, some more work put into what that actually looks like. Um, so, and, and I say this not because I want to pick on Robin Hood. I say this because 
I think that, again, their goal was very, very noble and it's a great thing to do. So how do we balance this, these important innovations and really lofty objectives, but making sure that just because you're tipping the scales on one side, you're not then, um, you're not thinking about the potential unintended consequences on the other side. Yeah, I think that's that's a great example, and 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 just one of many on the spectrum of of of, of risks and 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 potential harms that that would need to be addressed by by any government, uh, and, and also you know by practitioners, and and so I want to actually just take it from that other angle of of a practitioner, and and just zoom out a little bit from from the details. You know, for any listeners who we may have who are either currently working with AI or are planning to work with AI. Um, at the beginning of that journey, um, any advice or recommendations you would give them about how they can get smart about this and, and make sure that as they develop their own AI capabilities or purchase AI from others that they do so responsibly and ethically? Yeah, I think that's why we built a lot of our toolkits. Um, so check out the information on the portal. Um, we've you're able to search it via um, your role. So like, are you just somebody that's interested? Are you um, somebody that's going to be teaching? Uh, are you a researcher? Um, and hopefully that will lead you to the information that you need. Um, we're just aggregating. We're not, uh, some of the stuff we produce is also on there, but I, I really say that because I think it's um, helping to aggregate important resources. Um, but then also, um, Mark, the work that you're doing with the forum, uh, I think is, uh, more is going to come out on the Global AI Action Alliance, but, um, that's, there's a lot of really great toolkits, um, for those of you that are thinking about how to even acquire these systems, the, um, the procurement, AI procurement toolkit is something really great to look at. Um, and then, uh, for those interested in policy, um, the OECD AI Policy Observatory is a really great place to look. Um, so I would check that out. And of course, uh, Equal AI has lots of great resources, um, some checklists. Miriam's done a CLE course for lawyers, which I'm sure she does not talk about herself on here. So I will say that. Um, so there's a plethora of resources that are out there. Um, and there's also great organizations um, like the Montreal Ethics uh, or Montreal AI Ethics Institute um, that has a really good Slack channel, um, which I know it seems a bit strange because it's not, uh, it's hidden a bit. Uh, it's not kind of out there. It's a Slack channel, but it's a great group um, and it's open. Uh, Abhishek will allow you to to access that and everybody sharing really good resources. So that would be a place that I would start. Well, thank you, Ashley, for the insider's tips on where one would go uh, for these really practical, helpful tools uh, for a variety of different uses. Um, which we know so many companies need. And, and if they don't think they need it, they probably do. So thank you for helping to direct uh, people to where they can find some answers. Uh, so I hate to wrap up this discussion because there's so much more we want to talk about. But um, 
Before we go, our last question of guests is uh, your rose, your thorn, and your bud of AI. So what are you excited about? What are you worried about? And what are you looking forward to on the horizon when it comes to responsible AI? Great questions. Uh, so for my, uh, my bud, um, I would say, and I think that this is happening in AI, but it's also happening in climate and Black Lives Matter, just the um, interest and enthusiasm from a generation below me um, is quite incredible. Uh, the interns that we have that have um, been building a lot of these tools that I'm talking about are enthusiastic and incredibly well um, read and just really, really vision driven. And it gives me a ton of hope for the expectations that they have for the future. Um, and the, and the, the course that they're setting out so that I'm just, constantly amazed and really excited to see um, if we're pushing on this, that they're going to push on this 10 times harder um, and in more innovative ways than I know that I've at least thought to do. Um, my, my thorn, I just think that we're not moving fast enough. So there's a lot of talk in the community and there's been so much interest, which is very, very exciting. Um, in the past few years in particular around uh, responsibility and ethics. And I think that um, it's really disparate. And uh, there's there's a lot of talk, but there's not a lot of, um, I would say, um, organized funding around it. So whether that's in government itself, whether that is in um, with various different foundation opportunities. It's just really to identify the problem, um, figure out who's doing what, because there's more than enough work to go around the problems to be solved, and then figure out meaningful ways to actually attack that challenge. Um, so as I mentioned, like there's all these different sectors in which AI is being used. It's everywhere. It's all around us. Um, so just being more organized and thoughtful around that, um, I'd really like to see, uh, we don't need more high level reports on what the problems are. Um, and then the rose, um, is, I guess the, the objective of all of this is that we're able to, um, reverse or increase fairness and reverse discrimination um, and have a more trustworthy society. But when we break that down, I think that um, what's really hopeful for me in all of this is that by having these conversations, we're starting to identify long systemic challenges that we've had. And so AI systems are making us codify our, um, our challenges um, that we have in society, we have to then to these discussions that I was having, we have to have these trade-off discussions. Um, if, if, if this is in law, um, you have to make decisions around, uh, even basic things like the trolley car, car problem. And so, and some they're, they're impossible answers to have, but at least then there's a reason why you made that decision. It's been documented. It's not, to it'll no longer be good enough to say, oh, well, we didn't know um, because 
well, you did know you programmed your machine to do that. And so if we can get to a point where we're facing those challenges and um, the people that are building these systems are being forced to um, do what is responsible and ethical as deemed by these society discussions, societal discussions, um, then that's the, the ultimate rose that I see. And what a rose that is, AI as a, as a mirror to, to reflect back on us what our society is, both it's, it's, it's good and it's bad, and as a, as a catalyst to help us um, make sure that we do better going forward. Um, thank you so much, Ashley, for, for being with us today. What a, what a wonderful conversation. Thank you to both of you so much for having me and uh, excited to continue to work with both of you on these super, super challenging um, but important efforts. One last thing that I'd like to add is that we are launching our new name and brand and logo. And uh, so we're actually transitioning from AI Global to the Responsible AI Institute. So um, in talking through the toolkit and the work that we're doing, you heard that everything's called Responsible AI Design Assistant, Responsible AI uh, Community Portal, et cetera. And so we realized what we're doing is is really kind of um, connected to that uh, that those concepts, and so we thought that we would just change our name. Um, this started as a website update and quickly uh, made us ask a lot of questions about uh, why we were doing this and and who we were doing it for. Um, so on that, uh, the the certification work will be called uh, the Rail Certification for Responsible AI Leadership. And uh, we're also um, going to be working with different programs um, to build tools that will help that, one of them being Equal AI. So we're super excited to um, work with Miriam on the badging program that her institute's been doing such great work on um, so that those can be complementary activities. And also really excited to have Miriam uh, join the board of what will be the Responsible AI Institute. So we're we're really really looking forward to uh, evolving into this new new and next phase of our work. And thank you again for that honor. I'm thrilled to participate in this now much more formal way in the important work that you're doing and to blend the work of both of our organizations to be more uh, together, reinforcing responsible AI practices. Great to be able to share your voice and your insights with our audience. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Mark, I'm so glad we had the chance to share with our listeners Ashley's deep insight into the world of AI, how it works in government, how government can support the work of the private sector, and what she's doing to make sure that companies have guidance and tools in their path towards creating responsible AI. What were some of the main takeaways for you? Uh, yeah, I, I had a lot of takeaways. I, I love that conversation. I, I, I suppose I'm kind of biased myself because I work with Ashley and I, I enjoy it tremendously and I, I just rate her work very highly. A couple of things that I found particularly interesting were um, her comments about behavioral nudging and how that was one of her biggest fears with respect to AI. I think that it is 
a topic that is discussed and it is it, it's not uh, a secret that that there are issues there but i think it probably gets less airtime than some of the other risks and potential harms presented by ai in terms of bias and and other things like that uh, so i thought that was very interesting and i thought that ashley did a great job just laying out the kind of spectrum of governance approaches, everything from sort of self-governance and self-regulation within a company, uh, which is important, but probably insufficient, through to, uh, you know, hard law and regulation on the other side of the spectrum, uh, which is done by governments, but which is probably not going to be done uh, as quickly as it uh, needs to be or as comprehensively as it might be done. And so to me, what's really interesting is what's in that center space, what's in the, the rest of that spectrum between those things. And, and that's where Ashley, I think, is just one of the, the most um, uh, thoughtful and, 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 and competent people that I know. So I, I loved hearing from her about that. How about you? I couldn't agree more. I'm also very enthusiastic about her enthusiasm uh, for the next generation. I thought in addition to her being very aware of the current concerns and, and talking about the need for fines uh, and the balance of innovation and being mindful of safety uh, to avoid unintended consequences in AI development and use. Uh, I'm glad that at the end of the day, she is optimistic about the next generation and the innovation and responsible innovation we can expect from them, uh, a great place to land. I love that too. And it made me think that we ought to have a young person from Gen Z, perhaps, uh, be one of our podcast guests to hear uh, the the view from from, from that generation of, of, of what the opportunities are and how we can achieve them. I couldn't agree more. I'll look forward to that and our next episode of In AI We Trust. Me too. See you soon, Miriam. Take care, Mark. You have just listened to In AI We Trust, hosted by Miriam Vogel from Equal AI and me, Mark Kane from the World Economic Forum. Subscribe to or download our podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. We always welcome your feedback, and if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. And to learn more or get involved, please visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org. Dot org.